people would move more to Oakland, kind of other parts of the Bay Area where things were more edgy and just more fun, to be honest, mm-hmm. versus the more kind of sterile bars. Dory Alley is even edgier and mm. off the walls. And I'm talking like people having sex on the street. I'm talking people like butt naked playing Twister. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's wild. I'm talking someone is tying someone up in a harness or in like a sling, tying them up for like 30 minutes. And then once they're all tied up, like the music turns on and there's like an entire like five row deep audience watching this person having sex with this other person. No like, way. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. It's amazing. And welcome back for another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak. I'm really excited today because I have an old friend from UCLA. We met in the dorms. We continued on to the same apartment complex for the remainder of college. Since then, we've like navigated outings in Westwood, San Francisco, and even Sao Paulo, where the quote, first world solution to a third world problem originated. I've served in his student government office, and now he's getting his MBA at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And I'm so excited to introduce Ristam Z Birdie. Thanks, Leslie. Excited to be here. That's some intro. I've never heard it <laughs> summarized so well. It's been a while, but excited to catch up with you today. Yeah, I felt like I had to really span the whole history of our relationship and give listeners the scope of how well we really know each other and all the things we've been through together. Just yeah, as a top line. 2009, right? Um, so it's yeah. been over 10 years. Yeah. It has been over 10 years. That's so yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's a lot, lot to uncover and it's been, yeah, 10 years have flown by, in my opinion. They really have. They really have. Yeah. But that being said, even though we met in 2009, I will say, like, you're one of those people who I still remember in detail the first time that I met you. And I feel like there's some people who that is the case for and some people who you're like, oh, yeah, I don't really remember. But for you, I still remember, like, knocking on your dorm room. And I was <laughs> looking for one of your other roommates. Like, I hadn't met you yet. And mm. then I remember you answered the door. And I still remember <laughs> you were wearing, like, your gold chain and you had your white <laughs> sunglasses hanging off of them. <laughs> I still have the chain, not the sunglasses. (laughs) And then you also had those amazing sandals um, that you actually bought a pair of four for me at my request. And I just remember being like, who is this person? (laughs) What a character. Yeah, I actually pride myself on a decent memory but I don't Mm -hmm. remember that specific moment. I definitely remember the floor and Reber Terrace and Mm -hmm. UCLA and all of that. Um, And let me guess, it was probably because I had a fake ID before everyone else did and you were asking for <laughs> maybe some Sailor Jerry or some, no, some no. beer or something. No, I don't think I knew that yet. I think I probably <laughs> like heard that you had a fake ID, but yeah, I think I really came around <laughs> looking for one of your roommates mm. and then I was like, oh, who's this person? It was like early on in the year. So it was maybe like week one or something. Right, right. And it's also just weird being back in like university setting, living mm-hmm. on campus of the GSB it definitely reminds me of that collegial feel and having everyone kind of tightly packed. And Mm -hmm. it's obviously different with the pandemic, but just kind of an open door policy, knowing your neighbors Mm -hmm. um, definitely brings back memories from UCLA as well. 
Yeah, I really miss those days sometimes. I feel like we lucked out because we got such a good floor. And I know it wasn't all to chance, but like even the fact that you and I met, it's not like we had coordinated to live on the same floor. Like that was by chance. And yeah, we had so many shenanigans that we got into over the course of that year and then beyond. Yeah, yeah, no, that was definitely, I don't think much of it was planned at all. I mean, just, yeah, I was in a triple, had planned one of my roommates with me. And then I think there were a couple of other people who kind of knew each other, but we didn't choose the floor by design. It was all Mm-mm. kind of just meant to be. And it I was. think, yeah, most of us are still in touch uh, with each mm-hmm. other uh, more than 10 years on. Yeah. And so kind of going back to my mention of Sao Paulo, Rustam and I went to the World Cup together, which was one of my favorite vacations I've ever taken, even though by the end of three weeks, I think my liver was in complete disarray just because it's like the drinks are so strong. I feel like it was a lot of fried food and not a lot of vegetables, but it was all worth it. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was a super fun trip. Yeah. And I think it was my first trip with friends post-graduation. Really? I'd done stuff okay. with like family, I'd done stuff for work, but like actually a planned trip with friends and first time in South America, first time in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was the FIFA World Cup in 2014. Um, what was it? One week in Sao Paulo, one week in Rio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, super fun. You know, would love to go into those stories as well at some point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of uh, incriminating pictures also, I think, where. <laughs> For some reason, I was yeah. bullied into buying a fedora and speedos to like fit Were the you part. Bullied into it. I feel like the speedo was kind of like by design, like just the aesthetic you wanted for that week. I purchased it, Leslie, on the beach in Ipanema. I think oh. outside like Posto Seven or Eight or whatever, wherever we were. Mm-hmm. And I remember buying the zebra printed speedo <laughs> off the street from some street, you know, hawker or something. And then <laughs> hiding behind like a pickup truck or something, and like actually changing <laughs> from my very broy swimming trunks, mm-hmm. which were you know below my knees, all the way up to this uh, speedo, which was very tight and snug. Um, <laughs> but yeah, everyone did it there. So when in Rio. Um, when in Rio, exactly. Yeah. I think you made the right choice, honestly. And the fedora really just rounded out the whole look. Yeah. And I actually remembering that day now, it was. That was probably the peak of it, because after that, we started drinking. And I remember there was a time when I just like, had my face planted in the sand, <laughs> and I was just passed out. So yeah, that was that was a fun day. Let's just put it that way. I mean, you're um, not the only one who passed out on the trip, like, given the fact that I infamously passed out, like, really struggled. I think it was on the 4th of July, like, the mm-hmm. day that we were going to one of the matches. That was, that was rough. <laughs> Yeah, that was super fun. So that was Rio. That was a World Cup quarterfinal. It was mm-hmm. billed as a rematch of World War Two because it was France versus Germany. Yes. Um, and then, you know, us four Americans were dressed in red, white, and blue for our Independence Day for some reason. <laughs> um, and it was a hot, sunny day. And yeah, Leslie, I think at halftime, just hit the snooze button and won 75,000 roaring fans um, just fell asleep and passed out in her seat. I will say, so to defend myself, I was able to rally after that. But yeah, I mean, that's, I think, a testament to like how easily I can fall asleep. And like anyone who's close to me will like have some story of me falling asleep in some really unlikely predicament. And that's probably the peak of it. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's a fun one. Um, And I remember there were other fans around us 
and they were just kind of like pointing like is your friend all right and the rest was like oh she's fine like <laughs> she does this all the 20 time minutes. yeah this is yeah exactly <laughs> a power nap for her we let her mm-hmm. another beer and she'll be right back at it yeah yeah exactly you guys that know was, that was fun that was super fun and i know you stayed on after i left mm-hmm. um so you had the full three weeks there so definitely your liver had to do a different <laughs> you know pounding than i minded <laughs> yes absolutely absolutely so I kind of want to circle back to our time in college because I have an admission for the listeners. And actually, I don't even know if I ever said these exact words to you. So we'll get your real-time reaction on the podcast. <laughs> but in addition to being friends, um, I had a crush on Rustam back in the day. And it was actually, you know, even though he had the gold chain and the sunglasses, something about it. I was like, yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> And so in the past, you know, it was kind of like our fall quarter that it developed gradually. And so I remember like during finals week, after finals happened, and we were going out, it was like we're drinking together. And then we like, made out in the streets of Westwood, like after we went out. And I think we were the first two done with our finals. So everyone mm-hmm. else was annoyed that we were drinking and like being really obnoxious yeah. about celebrating. Yep. So yeah, it culminated in that makeout <laughs> session. And I think we made out a few more times. But it just wasn't in the cards for us. Yeah, yeah, that I'm just <laughs> I'm laughing and I'm blushing and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> but yeah, that was not time with row. And yeah, it was super fun, Leslie. I remember that. I think the the night you're referring to the first time <laughs> during finals week, I wanna say we were drinking this really obscure esoteric um alcohol Goldschlager or something. Oh my god, you're right. Yes. Which was uh, marketed as like their actual real pieces of 20 <laughs> carat like silver or gold or some metal in there yes. and you get more effed up because the pieces of metal like pierced your esophagus or something yes. and I was like this doesn't sound right but you know we're <laughs> 19 years old so you just do it you know yeah yeah but yeah that was a super fun time both the end of fall and then early winter as well yeah I missed yeah. that yeah Yeah, definitely. And so I have to give Rustam credit because he was very popular. I was not the only person who had a crush on him. He caught the interest of like a few of our... No, I feel like you caught the interest of like a few other floor and dorm mates in like a good way, you know. So I had some competition. It was like, it was tough out there. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, for all the listeners out there, um, that was my peak, you know. So there's... (laughs) No, it was not. (laughs) Living in a tightly, bad, dense college environment with people just you know <laughs> rushing over each other to like get my attention yeah that's not <laughs> it's never been the same since so um thank you for reminding me of of those times yeah. the glory days the glory exactly days. i know right it's been downhill ever since no no <laughs> so to kind of dive in further i feel like in the grander scheme you know even if there wasn't any competition it wouldn't have been in the cards for us later because you know after i think it was maybe junior or senior year and i would love to just hear your timeline and hear Mm -hmm. you go through everything you did end up coming out Mm -hmm. while we were still in college yeah and every time i say this story i mean i remember it very vividly and it makes complete sense to me but i think uh whenever i share it with people and i have recently at stanford as i've met more people Mm -hmm. it's definitely unique in other people's coming out stories Mm. um i think that there are two kind of big reasons why. So the first was, yeah, as Leslie said, kind of had dated women mm-hmm. and, you know, been straight, quote unquote, for all intents and purposes. And I'd never had any inclination about, you know, being homosexual or being gay or kind of 
being interested in the other side, so to speak, mm-hmm. until this one incident happened. I remember it specifically. It was MLK weekend 2011. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a friend made a move, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. and I didn't resist it. And I enjoyed that kind of interaction. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, a full year until, you know, Jan, Feb 2012, I truly think I made the right decision because I spent one whole year being bi mm-hmm. and putting up with men and women. So mm-hmm. kind of tried both sides and then um, made a decision that I think I like men more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, yeah, it was Jan, Feb 2012 when I officially came out and kind of that obviously was a whole process in many stages. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, never been happier since. And it was different in that I never thought I was gay initially. I mm-hmm. dated women and people asked me, oh, there must be some, in hindsight, there must be yeah. some moments or there must be some instances when you thought you were gay. And I was like, honestly, there's nothing I can point to, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was as straight as could be, like, my dress sense was definitely very straight, probably mm-hmm. still is. Never did anything with men till that very first interaction, which I didn't resist. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a little bit different compared to other people's coming out stories. And obviously everyone has their own and on their own pace. But yeah, I don't know if I've ever shared that with you previously, but kind of that's like the overarching story from my side. Yeah, that is really interesting. And that was going to be my first question is before that interaction, had you had any inclination? So yeah. given that you didn't, and it kind of came out of left field, like, how did you feel? Like, were you taken aback? Or were you just kind of like going with the flow and not really thinking about it until after the fact? Yeah, very taken aback, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sober when it happened. So maybe that didn't help. Or maybe mm-hmm. it did help. I don't know. You know mm-hmm. It's social lubricant, right? Alcohol. Yeah. So and, you know, if people are interested, it was me and a friend. We were watching The Shining. Oh. And it was at a wine night. We were like a little bit tipsy and like the scary movie. It was like before the Netflix and chill days, right? Mm-hmm. This was like literally, <laughs> I think there was a physical DVD or something of this. Oh, wow. Which we had popped into the PlayStation or Xbox or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was definitely surprising. And I remember the exact feeling, you know, his hand kind of moved towards my highs mm-hmm. uh and kind of just like rested there and my initial reaction was wow why am i not moving away or like why am i not deterred by this mm-hmm. and the answer was it felt nice and i wanted more of it but it was very jarring it was very it was like what is happening what do i do next this is yeah. weird but i like this so yeah mm-hmm. it was definitely unique and i'm sure other people who've had like their first interaction like that. I've also going to remember that forever. I surely do. Yeah. So you mentioned that it took probably about a year of you dating women and men before you made the decision to fully come out. And so what was that process like for you? Like, were you thinking initially like, oh, I'm doing this so I can determine if I'm either gay or bisexual? Or were you just, again, kind of going with the flow to kind of see... Yeah, I mean, so I was scared of coming out. Mm-hmm. Why did it take one year? I was scared. So I think halfway through that year, I mean, there was one night uh, when I had an interaction with both a woman and a man. Mm-hmm. And the woman was first, and it was, like, nice. But then when I slept with the dry, it was, like, amazing. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was, like, an objective kind of A-B test, so to speak. Yes, um, yes. Running in real time. But okay. I clearly have a preference here. Mm-hmm. Like, 
you know, slap on a pair of balls and like man up and like this is what you like kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that happened maybe halfway through 2011, maybe late 2011-ish. And then two reasons why I came out when I did in like early Feb 2012. Mm-hmm. One was <laughs> there were other girls who were like, who I was kind of like leading on, but like mm-hmm. I wanted to like be very transparent with them. I didn't want to just say, oh, I don't want to date you. I want to say I don't want to date you because I don't mm-hmm. like women. Yeah. So I felt like I had to make a decision and kind of tell them. And then the other one was I was in the closet. So my only outlet to men was with this one friend who made that first move on me and kind of our first interaction. Mm-hmm. And he was out. So he mm-hmm. he's going to WeHo and like bars and all of that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wanted more of that also, right? Yeah. But I can't do that. My only outlet with men was him. Mm-hmm. And I wanted more, basically, right? Which is kind of what drove me towards coming out of the class and said, well, you know, this is mentally draining. I have stress, anxiety, kind of, you know, this is like a burden kind of on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. I need to be true to myself and, you know, do it. So sort of that plus the reason of telling, you know, women that, hey, I'm no longer interested and here's the real reason why. Mm-hmm. Those are the two that kind of drove me towards eventually coming out. I mean, looking back on it, it sounds daunting, but I don't know how I did it. I mean, maybe you tell me, how did, did I like tell you one-on-one? Did you find out? How did you know? I don't think we had a one-on-one conversation. Okay. I okay. think that... <laughs> I apologize. There's nothing for you to apologize for, first of all. It's like you <laughs> have to come out to different people at whatever cadence you feel is appropriate. So I think I found out through somebody I don't remember who told me, to be honest. Yeah. And of course, without getting into too much detail, I'm also friends with this friend who you were talking about. So I yeah. think that I also heard a little bit about this experience from both sides. and. Right. Not initially, like it actually took me aback when I did hear because it wasn't like I knew in real time. I think I found out after the fact, but right. yeah, I think it was through our friend group. Yeah. So, I mean, and honestly, for me, it was like, I need to tell people one-on-one, mm-hmm. but then like, I'm totally fine with it just like being like, people just find out. So I definitely told my roommates and mm-hmm. I told some other, I think that like, honestly, like just four or five close friends. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, just looking back on it, it like seems like, wow, like someone who you've known is like hooking up with girls and stuff now is now openly there. It's like a pretty, you know, monumental shift. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess I was just younger and, you know, more detailed and just went for it, you know. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a lot of effort doing it right now if I were to redo all of that. Yeah, honestly, I can't imagine. It is really great that you, I think, came out when you did. And of course, it's up to everyone. You know, if you weren't to feel comfortable, then of course, it's your choice to make to like wait. But I think fortunately, like we were in such a welcoming and like accepting friend group. So Mm -hmm. hopefully that made it a bit easier. Totally. And I wanted to ask, like, what were some of the initial reactions? Like, did you get any reactions that were unexpected or that might have been less than positive? Uh, not really, to be honest. So mm-hmm. I guess I'll put it in like three buckets of coming out. So that was our college UCLA friends. And yeah, I guess like there's some of my friends who are like straight and like into sports and like, mm-hmm. you know, brewery and stuff. And to mm-hmm. them, maybe when I told them, they were like, no way, you're lying or yeah. very funny or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was at the level of reaction, but they was very receptive and 
totally normal. Mm-hmm. The two other groups, obviously, one other is family. We can go into family, um, mm-hmm. you know, as its own kind of chapter, divided into siblings and parents. Mm-hmm. But then the other group of friends is my friends back from Karachi, from Pakistan, who mm-hmm. definitely have less exposure to the yeah. LGBT community and so on. And I had a girlfriend in high school and, you know, they definitely thought I was straight as well. So coming out to them was not immediately at the same time. So it was more like mm-hmm. 2013, 2014. Okay. And there were some funny reactions then. Yeah. Oh, uh, Everything from one was, again, I don't believe you, like, show me your dating apps or something. Uh, or like, oh my God. You're, you are lying. Like, this is not funny. Like, why would you joke about this? And I'm like, no, I'm... Like, yeah. why would... You're why like, would yeah, someone, exactly. Yeah, why exactly. would I joke about that? Exactly. Like, why would someone, like, choose to put themselves on, like, you know, the margins of society, even in, you know, the 21st century? Yeah. But after that, it's been totally fine and accepting. Mm-hmm. Another friend had a funny reaction. He was, like, totally accepting, but his reaction was... It made sense why you were in the closet for like a year or two. Like, if I were you, I would also have not come out. And I was like, "What do you mean? Like, you want people to come oh, out wow. usually, right?" But yeah. I think this is more of just the Pakistani mindset, which is unfortunate, Leslie. Yeah. But there are people who spend their entire lives kind of just being in the closet and have very much, you know, for societal pressures, you know, a mm. heterosexual marriage, family. And then there's the whole different side to them, kind of, mm-hmm. which is not exposed to their partner or their family. So I think none of that's the context behind, oh, you should have not come out or staying in the closet or something. Yeah. But overwhelmingly, it was very positive. The progress which I'm most proud of is honestly educating them mm-hmm. on things which, you know, this is again going back five plus years, mm-hmm. but just like using more PC language when you have yeah. friends who are gay or like, and even if you don't, you should just not, you know, use mm-hmm. certain derogatory terms, which have now, I want to say, almost been disappeared from kind of our vernacular day to day. Yeah. But at the time, I remember that, okay, like, you can't say this, you know, you can't mm-hmm. say this word. You have to actually like, say what you mean. Like, it's stupid, it's dumb. It's yes. Dumb. Not, there's no analogous synonym for this. So, yeah, those friends were super accepting as well. And, yeah. Also, I, I remember wanting to come out to them, but I'd always like thinking like, okay, this weekend, or mm-hmm. I'll do it here, or I'll do it there. And then you're going to finally like get the courage and like actually say it. So when you had these conversations, and like you mentioned, initially, you wanted to have them one on one, did you make it like a thing where you're like, let's go out to brunch? And like, I want to talk to you? Or did you yeah. do it kind of nonchalantly? I think more nonchalantly, because once you like plan, oh, let's, I want to tell you something, it's like, yeah, people what, start like, speculating. What? Yeah, and someone said this, you know, half jokingly, but it's like whenever someone says, oh, like, can we chat? It's like one of three things. It's like, A, you're dying. Oh, my God. B, you're getting married. Or C, you're gay. You know, it's like one of those three, basically. <laughs> when someone, oh, like, they want money from you or something. Oh, my God. You know, we're, we're not at that <laughs> yeah. stage yet. But yeah, it wasn't that planned. Mm-hmm. But basically, in the back of my mind, it was whenever I'm with these people in one-on-one settings... I should just, like, say it. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think one of my close friends actually lives in Palo Alto right now as well. I told him when it was just me and him driving back home in Karachi or winter break once, even in a traffic jam or something, and I just mm-hmm. told him then. Another friend, he was visiting Boston, and we were walking back from brunch on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, I have to, like, by the way, tell you something. He said, what's up? And I told him, oh, by the way, I'm gay. And he was the one who actually was like, I don't believe you. Like, show me your apps and... My show gosh. me like your testing thread history or whatever 
Wow. Um, so yeah, it was it was one on one, but it wasn't intentionally planned. And there were some times when I'm like, oh, I should tell them, but then someone got too drawn for mm, someone yeah. else showed up and it just didn't seem right or something. Yeah, the mood um, is ruined. And I did want to tell them all like fairly close together. Yeah, because like I want all of my friends to like talk about me as well openly, right? So I don't mm-hmm. want like two of them know and three of them don't. So I think they yeah. all kind of happened fairly uh, close together. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So kind of going into the cultural aspect of it, of course, you know. I mean, you were born in another country. I have parents who were born in another country. And I can't really speak to how conservative one is over the other. But I know that in Jamaica, where my family is from, it's not as liberal, of course, as the United Mm -hmm. States is either. Mm -hmm. Like homosexuality isn't quite as accepted as it would be here. Mm -hmm. Did that give you any pause about coming out to your family versus coming out to your friends? A hundred percent. I mean, the parents were always the toughest Mm-hmm. Um, if I was to drop at ease, it was, you know, college friends were the easiest, mm-hmm. then sisters, then friends from Pakistan, and then parents. And yeah, it was always going to be difficult. And I did that one last. Mm-hmm. Did that on Father's Day 2015. Oh, wow. Okay. And un- unintentionally chose that date, but it was just, there were not too many times and it was just me and both my parents. Mm-hmm. It would always be at one mom or dad or like my sisters or my aunt or something. So mm-hmm. jumped on the opportunity when I got that. And yeah, I mean, it was always going to be tough. And largely because I feel like my parents would feel that they messed up. Mm. They, you know, they did a poor job parenting mm-hmm. and what have you. So it was always stressful and I spent the most amount of time kind of thinking about when to do that one because it was the toughest one. Yeah. And how was the experience? Like, did they react in a way that you had expected or? Yeah. At a high level, positive. I mean, I okay. think all things considered, yeah. um, there was definitely the sense of it ended with, you know, we love you and yeah. kind of happy for you. But the initial reaction, it was interesting. <laughs> so the first one kind of was... Um, you know, are you sure? Mm. Is this a phase? And mm-hmm. there's this idea that, oh, you might just, it might just be a phase and I might grow out of it or mm-hmm. something. So they said that and I said, no, like, I'm pretty sure. Like, I didn't go into the whole detail, which I told you, but mm-hmm. trying both sides. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, You're like, oh, well, mom, well, dad. <laughs> yeah, there was this one time when, you know, um, yeah. I enjoyed this try more than that girl. But told them that, no, it's not a phase, I'm pretty sure kind of thing. And I think there was also this mention of, this is a consistent theme, is like blaming America. You know, Interesting. You think, like you you went for college and maybe you had bad company or you were wow. influenced by the wrong people or like the culture. Um, so it's, a, it's fine. Because it, it, they blame that and then they also said, oh, like, you know, what did we do wrong? And like, mm-hmm. you know, we should have known or done better mm-hmm. education or something. And I'm like, it's not on you. It's like... Mm-hmm. So those are the initial reactions, Leslie. And then kind of my parents were like dropping me at my apartment in SF. And then I like went up and stuff. And then the next day, my mom said, we want to like talk to you more. Like we're oh. in the area. We're going to come by and so on and so forth. That's so it was like nice. one or two days later. And I just like went in their car and like I was in the back seat and they were in the front and stuff. And the message there was like, we want you to be really careful because my mom's a doctor. Mm-hmm. My parents obviously grew up in a generation where... HIV AIDS was more prevalent. The mm-hmm. mortality rate was a lot higher for that illness. So for them, 
there was this straight line between, oh, you're gay, you know, have HIV, AIDS, and so on, which is obviously mm-hmm. not true, but mm-hmm. that was their mindset, maybe growing up, you know, in Pakistan and so on. And then my mom told me that, you know, like, we were very upset and, you know, your father was crying in the car when we oh. went back home and stuff. And like just hearing that, and like, I've barely ever seen my parents cry, especially my dad cry. Yeah. So hearing that definitely still, I clearly remember it. But the overall message was, yeah, like, be safe mm-hmm. and just, yeah, you know, STDs was a big thing. Ever since I went to a doctor for a checkup and my general kind of annual tests, my mom would kind of emphasize getting all of, you know, the STD tests done and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, that was the, the process. And it's been interesting, you know, between now and then, five years mm-hmm. of being out to them. Um, but that was kind of the initial experience of coming out to them. Wow. Well, I love that they followed up to have a deeper conversation because I feel like sometimes, you know, it might be easier for parents to cope by having that conversation and then pushing it aside rather than actively following up with you. So it sounds like even if it was a difficult conversation, a productive one. Yeah. I mean, so the pushing aside is interesting. They definitely did have that follow up. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that and all of that. But I can turn on one hand how many times we've discussed it since. Mm, okay. And I think a part of that, I blame myself also for, there's like not much of a reason to discuss it, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And I've always said that because I've never like had a boyfriend who I've dated seriously enough to introduce to my parents. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what would I talk to my parents about? You know, yeah. like, oh, I went to the Castro and like made out <laughs> with someone or met yeah. someone on Tinder or whatever or, oh, that person's really hot, what do you think? Like, that's not what I'm going <laughs> to speak to my parents about, right? So yeah, I wish we did discuss it more. Mm. And recently, you know, I shared with them something that's very personal to me, which is my admissions essay to Stanford, mm. to GSB. And when I got in, I kind of physically sent them, like, a printed-out copy. Those are, like, old-school printouts versus, mm-hmm. like, PDFs online and stuff. Mm-hmm. And... Part of that kind of the essay mentioned coming out and the story and all of that. But I had a letter which I wrote with that essay. And in it, I mentioned how, you know, I want to live the same life they're living. And, you know, mm-hmm. people ask me for what does success look like? And I say success for me looks like living as prosperous and as well of a life my parents have. Mm-hmm. Specifically, they're 61 and 63 years old right now I think mm-hmm. they've been married for you know 30 35 years yeah. they have three kids who they've put through you know undergrad and graduate studies and now the kids are all kind of independent and on their own you know and mm-hmm. if I can do all of that by the time I'm their age I would be super 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 happy and yeah. you know fortunate and blessed so I kind of told them that stuff which was you know that I this is what you know what I want as well and there was no kind of not reception of that, but there was no acknowledgement or there was no like deeper dive into that. Said, so, like, oh yeah, we got the letter, we loved the letter, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, thanks yeah. for sharing. But it's like, oh, like, what did you think about that bar? What did you think about, you know? And there was no mention of any of that. Mm. And I could have probed more also on that, but I was hoping that, you know, we would have more of a conversation, but we didn't. Yeah. And then we only really meet up, you know, once a year now with over winter break as a family. Mm-hmm. Obviously not this, which is a bummer. Yeah. And the big reason of being bound about that was not having those conversations. And, you know, 
yeah. all of that. So definitely it's high on my priority to kind of distress. <laughs> I don't know how to put it, my sexuality or like my dating life or at least my aspirations for those things yeah. with my parents more openly. I love that. And it's such a vulnerable move to share that with them. And so I understand yeah. you said, you know, you could have been more proactive, but I feel like, you know, you did take that first step. And so I know that in any communication, especially about something sensitive, the hope is that someone kind of meets you halfway. So yeah. hopefully the next time you're able to see each other in person, they have more of an opportunity to do that as a follow up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and I've like drawn these images in my head many times of like, my parents would be visiting and like mm-hmm. maybe it's like just me and my mom we go for a walk and I'm like yeah like, I want to get married have kids all of that and like mm-hmm. I think A that the fact that she knows that will I think give comfort because she definitely you know wants to be a grandmother and yeah. like have a family and all of that but B I'm like also like help me like if you know any yeah. if you know any guys out there <laughs> who, like, fit my preferences and my bill like just for straight people there's a lot of that, right? Parents mm-hmm. helping and sending proposals and in my culture, I mean, we call them... Not my parents. <laughs> they do or they don't? No, I mean, my mom does not do does that. Not? Okay. No. Maybe it's more of a South Asian kind of mm-hmm. thing. But I'm like, yeah, like, it's like a real life app or like a real life <laughs> like matchmaker, right? But with accountability because you're yeah. probably not going to ghost someone when <laughs> you know their aunt. Yeah, yeah, that's true. No, that's true. That's true. I mean, I'll, I'll add one more kind of tangential point one thing that kind of annoyed me was even after i came out to my parents they would forward me these emails of these people who were interested in meeting for like marriage purposes oh so this is like a thing that happens in south asian culture Mm -hmm. and i would hope that like you know my dad would just like say oh you're not interested or whatever yeah but there was a time when he like forwarded this and i was like why are you forwarding this to me like i told you i'm not interested um yeah but maybe it was just them in denial or like, oh, it's a phase or something like that. Yeah. Um, but if you want to do that for like for, for, for men, please go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious because I have heard, of course, that that is a tradition in Southeast Asian culture. Does it really in present day, does it happen for, you know, gay and lesbian couples? Like, will parents send? Not, not that I've ever heard of, you know. Okay. And I have a few friends who are openly gay and stuff. Uh, who are Pakistani. But yeah, I've never heard of like, I mean, friends will for sure, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. friends will tell, oh, you should meet so-and-so. But for parents or aunts, no, like that's the dream, Leslie. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, there are not that many, right? Mm-hmm. Openly LGBT. But yeah, that would be amazing. I mean, I don't know. Did you see the Netflix show Indian Matchmaking? Yes, I was going to bring it up. I did. There should be a season two of that with, mm-hmm. you know, different preferences and jade and like lesbian troubles or whatever you know there definitely should might be asking for too much um too soon but hopefully that's so sad to think that it's like too much like it's 2021 yeah no you're right you're right it is 2021 but yeah i mean those countries are you know significantly behind when it comes to these issues so yeah yeah it's sad maybe one catching up to do yeah yeah but that's the dream is I like, just have someone like send you like not just profiles on an app, but like binders full of people. Yeah. Like so much. I want their LinkedIn. I want like their references. I want like mm-hmm. their 
what what do they order at Starbucks and all of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all the nuanced details that <laughs> exactly. you usually get on like a fourth date. <laughs> exactly. Like why waste that time? You know, like we have all the information at our hands at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. Better use it. Yeah. Maybe you should sign up for a matchmaker here. I know, right? I mean, yeah, I've always said jokingly that I'd always throw money at my problems. So like, <laughs> trying yeah. to lose weight, like get a personal trainer, life coach, therapist, yeah. all of yeah. that. So maybe I should just like throw money at matchmaker and help me find someone. But I'm turning down on all of those expenses because I'm a student now, right? So yeah. I'm going from yeah. That's fair. priorities. Yeah. But I mean, you bring up such a good point, because when I did an interview with the founder of three day rule matchmaking, she literally mm. said the same thing, because she was trying to destigmatize using a matchmaker, because mm. I think there is still a little bit of a stigma that's like, oh, it's for people who are desperate. And she literally said, like, if you're trying to lose weight, and you're really serious about it, and you don't have time to come up with the workouts on your own, you hire a personal trainer. And no one's like, oh, my God, you hired a trainer, you're so desperate. They're like, oh, that's really cool that you're taking it into your own hands and being proactive. So why not the same thing for finding a partner? Exactly. Taking it into your own hands, being proactive. I love that. I mean, a mantra that I, you know, in the last couple of years come across, and I kind of live by as much as possible is actions express priorities mm-hmm. you know so if it's your priority then don't just talk about it like actually do something about it you know yeah. and show don't tell mm-hmm. so yeah absolutely i mean if it's top of your list then you know leave no stone unturned and if that mm-hmm. means having professional support then i'm all for it yeah do those exist lastly like just individual matchmakers i've never even heard of that like Yeah, so with three day rule, and unfortunately, I have not signed up. But (laughs) the way it works is like you would sign up and it's a commitment that's like all encompassing where they'll like go through your closet and be like, okay, let's pick out some outfits that present you in the best way. They'll take headshots for your profile. And then Mm. I think they have a few meetings with you to understand what your preferences are. And then from there, they will send you people who they think are a match. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, sounds like a very hands-on and hence financial commitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, there, of course, there are other services as well, but Three Day Rule is just the one I'm most familiar with since I talked to the founder about it. But yeah, yeah. it's definitely something to consider. I've never even paid um, for a dating app. Really? So maybe, maybe I should start there. Yeah. Kind of dip my toes in that water and then move on to the more kind of bespoke services that you mentioned. Yeah, so I think that's a perfect transition because clearly you're now looking for a serious relationship. And so I wanted to hear, especially after you moved to San Francisco, and that was a whole new chapter of your life. How did you go about meeting people in San Francisco? I feel like there's a really big in-person gay scene, but then I'm sure the apps play into it as well. So what was kind of your balance between the two? Yeah, so I moved to SF from Boston 2014. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, 23, 24, like... Back then, it was not looking for a relationship, mm-hmm. just for fun, just for hookups, like yeah. just to party. And a lot of it, I want to say, was if I was to that technical, I would say like 70, 30 in person. Wow, so like, that's yeah. so nice. Yeah, so just like go to a bar and then you're dancing and you meet someone or you meet someone while you're ordering drinks or you mm-hmm. meet someone while you're smoking a joint outside or something or mm-hmm. what have you. And then you do stuff and just that night or then you meet up subsequently all of that and then apps is just easier you know especially in the gay community and i was using grinder back then and it was just like very explicit like Mm -hmm. you want to just (laughs) um hook up and stuff 
so yeah, it was easy. And you're right, a lot of high density of options um, mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Although I do think it's a, it's a little bit too white for my liking sometimes. And it's definitely gotten whiter. Really? My time year, I think, yeah. I feel like that's so surprising just because I feel like, you know, what we hear about like demographics in the US, like I feel like you don't hear about any place getting like whiter. If anything, I feel like every city is getting more diverse. You no, know, I mean, so think about it, San Francisco and, you know, at least pre-pandemic, it was on the steady incline of higher rent prices, yeah. largely driven by tech companies. Mm-hmm. And if you see any product startup tech company out there, they're not that diverse. And they are predominantly white, predominantly Asian as well, Mm -hmm. specifically, you know, at Southeast Asian or East Asian and white. And those are two biggest, you know, I would say ethnicities or demographics, um, even in the SFA community. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely people of color, I would say more in other parts of Bay Area. So Mm -hmm. in 2018, I moved to Oakland and I noticeable difference in how many people of color there were both on the apps and at the bars that I was frequenting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was super fun. I had a group of two other friends who are my closest friends and we would all kind of go out at one point virtually every night, mm-hmm. but definitely every weekend. And it was fun kind of having that group of just friends and yeah. you know taking on the SF bars and clubs and all of that. So yeah, that was my approach back then when I first moved there. Mm hmm. So I guess what are some stereotypes that you think people might have about the gay scene in SF and which ones check out and which ones are simply stereotypes? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think I think maybe one would be it's diverse. People assume yeah. it's very diverse. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you were surprised to hear that. And I mean, it's gonna be tough to find diversity, mm-hmm. especially in these lots that are expensive to live in and yeah. they cater to a specific type of employment. Another one is that, you know, Castro is like the meta for being gay. It's like, you know, Harvey Milk and this Castro mm-hmm. Theater and it's like a very iconic and, you know, everyday tourists who are visiting SF will come and like take pictures and that's mm-hmm. awesome, you know. But for someone who's actually a local resident there, it feels fairly small. It mm-hmm. feels kind of, you know, been there, done that. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely a phase of always the locals at least looking for new bars and new avenues and it's tough to open a new bar. It's expensive, yeah. real estate, clientele, all of that. So there would be more kind of underground parties. Parties would move more to warehouses, all of that. People would move more to Oakland, kind of other parts of the Bay Area where things were more edgy and just more fun, to be honest, mm-hmm. versus the more kind of sterile bars and so on. Another thing which I think I would mention is, and I don't know if this is like a stereotype that's not represented, but... There are these two fairs or events. One is mm-hmm. called Folsom Street Fair. Have you heard of it? I haven't, no. There's a street called Folsom Street, and they shut down the road there and it happens like late September. Okay. There's another one called Dory Alley. And those are like famous, famous Leslie. So people like flying mm-hmm. from all over the world for these. And they're like leather slash BDSM slash bondage, oh. like aficionados mm-hmm. attend those. And I've been a few times and they're super fun. Wait, how so, is it? Like, do you dress up in, like, leather uh, and BDSM gear? Yeah, I mean, most people would, yeah, you have, like, you're shirtless, mm-hmm. and you're wearing, like, leather Speedos or something, Love and then that. you have, like, a harness on you or something. That's so fun. Um, I, of course, am, like, a lot more conservative on this stuff, and I'm wearing, like, a black <laughs> t-shirt or something, <laughs> and, like, black shorts or something. Dang it. I know, right? Maybe next year. 
But those are super fun. Those are uniquely SF. Okay. I've not seen that elsewhere. And the fact that people fly in for that, kind of mm-hmm. it has a reputation. I appreciate that because I think that's been around for a number of years. A lot has changed in the Bay Area, but that has not changed. None of that state of constants. And Dory Alley is even edgier and mm. off the walls. And I'm talking like people having sets on the street, people like watching. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm talking people like butt naked playing Twister. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, that's wild. I'm talking people like someone is tying someone up in a harness or in like a sling or some apparatus tying them up for like 30 minutes and then once they're all tied up like the music turns on and there's like an entire like five row deep audience watching this person having sex with this other person no way yeah yeah seriously it's amazing so wait this is on the street on the street the streets are blocked off there are bars which are open and stuff, but everything's kind of happening outside the bars on the street. There are different stalls set up, there are kind of yeah. different stations and stuff. And yeah. So what's the history behind it? Like how long have these been going on and like have they kind of evolved to get more and more crazy as the years have gone on? Yeah, I mean, I wish I knew the full kind of accurate history, but I want to say it's been on for a number of years, like mm-hmm. decades on end. Mm-hmm. And they're still happening, obviously not in the pandemic, but I think they're like a virtual one or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I've heard it has become less authentic in that a lot of tourists come. It's not just SF locals. Mm-hmm. And a lot of straight people come just to watch also. Okay. And, yeah. You know, I mean... And Is that, like, annoying? I don't know. It's it's a great question. Not to me personally, but I also do recognize I have certain privilege compared to other people who are LGBT. Mm-hmm. I'm cis. I'm people would say straight passing or what have you mm-hmm. other people maybe want more comfort in mm-hmm. solely lgbt circles and don't want straight people kind of infringing and we can go more into yeah. that because i have some interesting kind of observations on that yeah so it's become more kind of women and straight people and then tourists and all mm-hmm. especially Folsom. but dory dory alley has i think stayed more kind of authentic to its roots and they're like okay People giving blowjobs at the bar and stuff like that. I mean, I will say, and then one other thing just to round off the stereotypes of SF topic. There used to be a bar on two or three blocks away from where I used to live, which shut down like two years after I moved there. Mm-hmm. So I only went there a few times. And on Tuesday nights, Leslie, they would have like, I don't know, orgies or like wow. sex parties or something. So the whole thing was... If you were like in the know, they would email or text you a password. Mm-hmm. And then you have to like say the password at the entrance. Otherwise, you cannot enter. And yeah, people remove their clothes and they're having sex and all that. So then that's something that's very, in my opinion, unique to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I had not visited and not experienced all of this in New York and other cities. Mm-hmm. So maybe it does exist. Yeah. But to me, it was like, wow, this is very SF, which I appreciated. But then... The fact that that bar shut down clearly shows that things are changing and Mm. attitudes are changing and so on and so forth, which is unfortunate. That is unfortunate. Like, that's so cool. And I was going to say, like, it really makes the speakeasies that I've been to in LA seem so performative. It's like, (laughs) we have one where it's like, oh, you walk in and there's like a woman on a bed and then you have to like know where to go. But it's like, the woman on the bed is fully clothed and then the scandal like ends there, you know, like versus walking in and then the scandal's just beginning. So it does sound like it's something that is uniquely SF, but who knows, you know, maybe I'm just not cool enough to know where all the sex parties are in LA. No. I think the gay community is just cooler overall. And it's not you. It's true. It's not you. It's just us. (laughs) We're more extra when it comes to that. (laughs) (laughs) Going all in. I love it. Yep. 
yeah like pun intended yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i'd love to hear more about you alluded to your thoughts about being more privileged within the gay community and some observations that you had around that so i'd love to hear what you meant by that yeah i think there are people who are trans people of certain minorities people who are non-binary who have different sexual preferences i think compared to maybe them me as a cis male you're at stanford working previously in professional services and tech companies and so on i definitely think my experience is only through my eyes and my lens and those of others would be very different mm-hmm. and an example of kind of when this came to mind for me was i was discussing with a friend how bars in castro there was an article in the guardian or the telegraph a newspaper mm-hmm. in the uk which mentioned kind of how people were unhappy that these historically queer only establishments now had straight patrons also here's how it plays out it's a friday night you're done with work mm-hmm. two of your friends are also gay and you go to a bar in the castro for happy hour and then other friends hit you up say hey let's meet up what are you doing and they're straight mm-hmm. and you say oh like come to so and so bar yeah and then everyone kind of I just does this so then there's these straight people in patagonia vests who are like very straight <laughs> looking mm-hmm. at bars and people kind of find that i don't know maybe problematic mm-hmm. in that if you're at a gay bar you want the assumption that every man here i can hit on and is yeah. open to men yeah so like where these straight people here they have all these other bars to go to we only have these bars yeah mm-hmm. while taking up space and all of that stuff another example was someone mentioned this in the SF Chronicle i remember they were doing a stand up comedy show at the Castro theater mm-hmm. which is that a famous beautiful theater they said that most of their content and their one liners and their riddles and jokes and all were focused on the queer community and they okay. were just inside jokes or things yeah. that stuff about grinder or whatever that people would get only if you are lgbt mm-hmm. and over time they noticed that people were just not laughing the same way at their jokes because mm. most of the crowd was now not from that community yeah. and the same content was just not landing with these straight people and they mm-hmm. were just kind of like confused or like blank faced which is which sounds really sad or just weird also right yeah so my kind of overall question is I totally recognize that people need the safe space and want to stay kind of queer only and not open it up to others. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for decades we fought for equality. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, we now have equality in terms of marriage and civil unions and mm-hmm. taxation and representation. Not a hundred percent, but yeah. Yeah. at least uh, in theory we do. Why do you want to still stay different? If you yeah. fought for equality, why don't you want to just? mix in and kind of all be one mm-hmm. why does it have to be kind of so separated so differentiated yeah and i think that view is one of privilege which i find it fine mm-hmm. i don't mind if this is straight person but i think people who are certain subsets of the lgbt community may be more uncomfortable with or have had mm-hmm. traumatic kind of experiences with people who are not accepting of their of their appearance or their beliefs so I'll stop there. I don't know if that made sense, but I don't know no, that's it, my view on that. No, it absolutely does. Yeah, and 
It is such an interesting perspective, obviously one that I have my own thoughts on. But of course, I'm not in the gay community. And so my thoughts are not really relevant. But yeah, it's interesting, because at a surface level, I would have thought, you know, like, I think it's really cool to have the idea of people who especially males who are straight and are like, oh, yeah, I'll go to this bar. Like, I don't care if it's a gay bar or a straight Mm -hmm. bar. And to me, that is seen as progress. Yep. But again, I can't speak to what it's like to be marginalized in that sense and to feel like, okay, now this is no longer a safe space for me because people who are not like me are invading it. Yep, exactly. So I can see it go both ways. I never thought of that was like, oh, look at its progress. Straight people are going to gay bars. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, albeit our bar is very low for straight people like <laughs> them being open to go to a bar which yeah, I has know. <laughs> alcoholic drink, really really strong drinks and which are typically very cheap yeah. and has amazing music because you know we have better taste in music um <laughs> not me but you know my people um, <laughs> yeah we've already addressed your taste in music exactly so wow our bar is so low for straight people but we're happy you know i mean we still love them and i this is something which i not routinely but periodically raise this question with other people who are also gay and kind of have lived in these cities and their opinion of should we stay separate or all be one and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. yeah it is a really interesting conundrum that's so tough yeah. yeah and it's hard because i feel like you can't really effectively put into place a rule that says like no straight or like cis males you know like that you yeah. couldn't do that so yeah. How it's do you tough. keep that community then without explicitly banning certain people from joining? Yeah. And even, I mean, this was broader, right? Like the pride parades, mm-hmm. like not to, you know, sound negative or anything, but the parades are very corporate. Mm-hmm. They're again, very homogenous. There are a lot of straight people at the pride parade. When yeah. historically it was meant as a time to celebrate you know, the sacrifices uh, that people before us have made mm-hmm. so that, for the liberties and the freedoms that we have today. So people are like, yeah, I'm not going to go to the parade because it's just like Apple and eBay or PayPal or whatever these large Facebook, these large companies have these massive floats. In reality, they're not doing as much as I want them to do on these issues. It's like a horse and pony show trying yeah. to just to flex their muscles. So Really performative. Exactly. Very performative, uh, virtue signaling, all mm-hmm, of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. But then we, we want them to yeah. be cognizant of the pride community we want them to celebrate pride but it goes beyond just like changing an instagram profile photo for that one month and you kind of go oh back to the rainbows yes. disappear and like yes you know, yeah. honestly yeah that, that is very relatable because i feel like this june there was a lot of that happening like around yep. the blm movement as well where there were a lot of things where i was like this literally doesn't matter like nobody asked for this like yeah. this is something that you're doing that has no impact on the greater community you're just doing it because it's very yeah. visible but yeah. it doesn't actually help the cause in any way and yeah in a month to your point it'll be gone and yeah. everyone will forgotten about it so it's yeah. it's really tough like it's yeah, nice I mean, to have it's nice to have companies show that yes in theory they're supportive yeah. but it needs to go beyond just being in theory. I mean what do you think about so what do you think about people virtue signaling through their Instagram stories back in June and stuff sharing content about systemic racism or the George Floyd murder and so on and you're sort of my overarching take on it. One is yes posting there does nothing Mm -hmm. doesn't change anything 
actual actions, be it monetary donations, volunteering, peaceful mm-hmm. protest, none of that stuff actually moves the needle. But how do you, maybe that person is doing those things yeah. and posting on their story. Maybe there's, maybe posting on their story is not the end all be all. And the other thing is, Leslie, for me, it's like, yeah, you don't want to just do that. You're hoping that everyone who posts on their stories is doing more than that. Mm-hmm. And for me, even if the stories themselves were in isolation, if there's one follower out mm-hmm. of your, you know, hundreds and you know thousands of followers, if there is one whose mind was not changed even, but it just sort of made them stop and mm-hmm. think about what you posted and it would be worth it. It would yeah. justify the post. So yeah, yeah. I've had this discussion with people back at work over the summer. Also, oh yeah, like so and so is just so performative or mm-hmm. just flexing. And in reality, I'm like, dear, I need to hear this. I'm like, well, this person went to high school in Kansas. Yeah, maybe they That's have a big step for them. Maybe they have like one for a follower whose mind they can again change or at mm-hmm. least begin the process of change. Mm-hmm. And for me, it would justify posting that. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, is it? Is, what, what am I missing in, in that argument? I actually agree. And this is slightly different, but I had a conversation with somebody about something similar around the mm-hmm. same time. And so in the time when people were posting, I, I noticed that a lot of fashion and beauty brands were making a conscious effort to also highlight diverse models. Mm. And like even the ones where I'm like, oh, I've literally never seen like a black model on your page before. And mm. now all of a sudden that volume has increased quite a bit. Mm. And so... Someone had said to me, like, yeah, I just think it's really phony because they're just doing it because it's now what's expected of them. Mm. And what I said is that, yeah, I actually do believe that's the case for most of these brands. Of course, I'm not there in the boardroom where they're making these decisions, but it's safe to probably assume they're doing it out of a sense of obligation. However, I feel like representation is so important. Like thinking about my upbringing, like so rarely what I see in the magazines that I would read, like models that looked like me. And so I think just even if it's performative, it's going to trickle down and like younger girls are going to be able to see standards of beauty that reflect themselves. And that is still going to have a positive impact regardless of what the motive was. Yeah. So I think it's kind of similar. Yeah. And it's nothing's perfect, but I think it's, I don't think it hurts. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's neutral or maybe positive, why not? Yeah. I agree. That's not my approach to it. I agree. Yeah. Wow. It's it's really interesting to f- figure out how to navigate like ever-changing space, right? Because it's it's always going to be evolving and there is no correct answer for how to properly navigate things. But it's yeah. important to have these discussions. Life is hard. I mean, <laughs> again, <laughs> Seriously. also sounds probably it's a lot of privilege, but like, it's like, geez, it's like being a 20, 30 something, like in, especially this last year, it's just uprooted so many of our assumptions or Mm -hmm. our expectations Mm -hmm. but i think just being more conscious about these topics i think there's also just progress and compared to maybe a year or 18 months ago when they would bubble up every now and then but there was never this sort of sustained focus on them which i'm hoping is a step change moving forward doesn't kind of go back to what it was before it all happened in 2020 yeah i hope so i hope so yeah 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 So I kind of wanted to circle back to something that you had said earlier about your perception of what a successful life looks like. And so clearly, based on that, you are looking for a committed relationship. And you can correct me if I am putting words in your mouth, but I believe you 
previously identified yourself as like having some commitment issues. Yes, 100%. So I would love to hear, how would you feel like you overcame those commitment issues? What changed over the years as you were working through those? Yeah, I mean, I think one factor was just age. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was just like, I was just phase. I'm like, oh, I'm 25, I'm 26 still. Like, I want to hook up with different guys every weekend or something or like mm-hmm. not be tied down to one. So I think there was some of that was the issue initially. And then the other one was also, I was just kind of, I don't know, very independent in my decision making in my career. So it was like, I want to move to this city or I want to move to that job or yeah. I would prioritize all of that over the other person mm-hmm. who I was dating. And I think another reason, the third one I would mention is the people who I dated, perhaps, I don't know if they were right for me. So mm-hmm. I think there was just this phase where the minute they would get serious and they would reciprocate or mention that they liked me or loved me or whatever, in my mind, it was almost like, oh, for some reason, you're now less interesting or I've mm-hmm. lost interest or mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm. And this, this would happen around the three or four month stage, typically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it would be, oh, yeah, the chase is over. There's not much more. You're like, I'm done, basically. Yeah. So I think that was also part of the commitment stuff. And then I think it was just wanting to settle down. I think I have an uncle who's also openly gay, has, mm-hmm. you know, very nice, happy relationship for, I think, honestly, like 20, 30 years or something. And I think he put it and so I'm very kind of impressionable last day so like sometimes he did random one line things that people say kind of just stood to me this was one mm-hmm. of them mm-hmm. over dinner and he was like what more do you have to prove you know you've been there done that like wow. if you wanted to draw on an app and hook up with someone and you can keep doing that but like you've already proven that you can do that so yeah I think so that that kind of was a little bit dawning and eye-opening for me because I was like yeah like yes that's fun and I can keep doing it but it's like check that box already mm-hmm. don't you want something more you know meaningful more deep yeah and then obviously this pandemic right has just mm-hmm. exacerbated all of those feelings or those yeah. emotions i live alone or i used to live alone before i moved on to stanford's campus a lot of my friends and relationships mm-hmm. if you want to hang out with someone and i mean like physically not over zoom you have to be very intentional and people who live with their assos and their partners and so on they don't have to they already have that company under the same roof it's a lot easier Mm -hmm. none of that made me realize that as well Mm -hmm. and kind of okay i need to be more serious about commitments and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and then the other one is i always wanted to have kids and i'm like i don't want to be a dad at like i don't know 45 or something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i want to be the best dad i can for my kids so i want to get that ball you know rolling soon yeah so yeah that's the long way of answering that's what changed and move me more towards wanting or not fearing commitment versus what I was maybe uh, back in the day. And I love that it was a multifaceted answer because I feel like usually it's not any one thing that changes you yeah. or causes you to mature in that sense. And I also love that you started out with age because I feel like sometimes, you know, like I mentioned, okay, commitment issues, but like when you're 23, 24, not being in a relationship doesn't mean that you have commitment issues necessarily. It just means you're being 23, 24. And some people are serial monogamists. And I think that there's so much value, though, to having that time to be single. And during that time, working out what you need in a partner 
kind of by trial and error, right? It's like mm. you have these experiences and you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's not it. Like, I don't want that long term. Or yeah. taking something from a relationship where you do realize, like, this is what I need from a partner and I want my next partner to bring this quality to the table as well. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I am, yeah, I have a lot of work to do, I think, in terms of dating and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just like mentally, when I meet someone, not hooking up immediately, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and like not mentally racing ahead mm-hmm. mm, of yeah. where things are moving too fast, at least in my head, not with the other person. So, yeah. and then also this whole idea of like, you know, what my type is or what my preference is. Mm-hmm. Life never pans out the way you've planned it. So kind of keep no. a more open mind and kind of cast a wider net. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I'm learning at the job, so to speak, <laughs> <laughs> as, I'm, yeah. as I'm dating and so on. But I think kind of not having no expectation, but kind of just like letting, like trusting the process. Yeah. And a lot of what I've learned at Stanford is like just being yourself and it's what's gotten you here so far. And if you mm-hmm. are happy with this so far, kind of mm-hmm. just be authentic and the results will come or things will fall into place as they're meant to be. Yeah. So out of curiosity, I know you literally just finished saying you're moving away from this, but at the <laughs> present moment, how would you describe, if not your type, what you're looking for in a partner? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at the highest level, the most kind of common denominator, Mm -hmm. someone who enjoys me and wants me despite all my imperfections. Mm. I would say that I have insecurities. I want people to just kind of like me for who I am and allow me to be the best version of myself with them. Yeah. So I would say that. A different way of answering that is someone to just experience life with. I think I live a pretty fun life Mm -hmm. and I want to travel the world with someone and not just with friends or Mm -hmm. to destination weddings and stuff like that. Yeah. I want to experience just like day-to-day activities with someone. And then what does that person look like? I definitely need them to be ambitious. Mm -hmm. I think we all do. We all have a very high bar these days for our SOs. And someone who kind of drives me to be a better version of myself. And I think my friends who know me the best, mm-hmm. who know me at parties, who the way they describe my presence, mm-hmm. I want my boyfriend or partner to also be an enabler of all of those things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and get those juices flowing even more than typical. Yeah. So beyond the appearances and the physical stuff, uh, I think that's my type and... I mean, whose isn't, right? Like everyone. Honestly, everyone yeah, because I was right? going to say everything you said. I was like, oh, those are all of my top priorities too. Yeah. So we're definitely aligned on that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's kind of a cop-out answer, but. Um. No, it's not a cop-out answer. Yeah. I think it's important to call out. And especially like in the year, year and a half after I had, it was like my first time being single after a long period of not being single. Mm-hmm. And so I, my like. I don't want to say coping mechanism, because this is just how I would want to live my life anyway. But I think even more than normally, I threw myself into things and experiences and had all these trips and went to a bunch of new cities, even within the US that I'd never been to before. And so I was like, yeah, my life is pretty fun. You know, it's like pretty good. But to your point, it's so important to have someone to share that with long term, because you want to be able to build those memories with someone rather than just have them in a vacuum to reflect on with yourself and then disparate groups of friends here and there exactly no completely agree and i think that's i think that's something even my parents have mentioned and i think even in like when i came out to them and stuff i mentioned like 
safety and diseases and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sexual health was a big one. Another big one, which I unfortunately forgot to mention, was for in their mind, being gay means being alone. You die young because of HIV, AIDS, or whatever, and then you die alone because you're single. There's no family. The picture in their mind's been painted from like the 70s or 80s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Same sex couples absolutely can have families and mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. can have kids and be parents and so on. So they mentioned that and they kind of mentioned like, we don't want you to grow old alone and yeah. we want you to kind of also have a companion and have a family and so on. So of that desire, which I mentioned of living life and experiencing your fun life with someone else, I think is coming from that my parents are sort of pushing those values and ideals in me. Yeah, very important. And you mentioned also the fact that quarantine has really exacerbated this desire to be in a relationship. And so both of us have actually exited relationships since the quarantine has began, I guess. And I would love to hear, you know, like your description of how that relationship kind of came to be and like what you took from it and elements that you might hope to take into your next relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we actually met September 2019 Mm -hmm. but then I was at the time and this is if you're keeping score this was an organic meetup in person not an Mm -hmm. app so Mm -hmm. it was at a bar in Oakland and we danced and like did stuff (laughs) and then and then I was unfortunately very busy at that time preparing for my business school applications Mm -hmm. so I told him I want to get to know you more but I'll be honest, right now, my like, sole purpose in life, my only priority mm-hmm. is applying to GSB in Stanford and so on. So can I like hit you back up in January 2020 when I submit those? And he said, yep, sure, makes sense. Mm-hmm. So then we were dating from kind of sometime in Jan through early June-ish. And yeah, it was super fun. It was nice entering quarantine with someone. We he lived a few a mile and a half away in Oakland, so we didn't live together or anything, Mm -hmm. but very close. And it was definitely weird then breaking up in the quarantine as well and going from having none of that someone to not. Um, And it was actually the first one, Leslie, in a a number of relationships, a number of years, where he left me versus Mm -hmm. I usually break things off with commitment issues and so on. So going back to what you said, about what are you moving forward with in that relationship? I mean, honestly, as much as it sucks that didn't end up continuing, Mm -hmm. as my therapist reminded me, at least now I know that there's someone out there Mm -hmm. who checks the bill and kind of is meant for me, or at least I think so. Versus previously, I was, oh, no one like, hits my bar or mm-hmm. like everyone is boring after three or four months and so mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And with this one, it wasn't the case. It was interesting. Uh, I wanted it to go on and on and on and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Certainly, at least knowing that that person exists was a positive and that's something yeah. I would take forward in my natural relationship. I think another thing I definitely, I, I could be more expressive about my feelings. Mm, I could okay. open up more. I could be more vulnerable and be more intentional about being vulnerable. And I think my ex wanted more of that mm-hmm. and I could have done a better job of doing more of that. And I think it certainly makes the relationship deeper and stronger once you do that stuff. Yeah. There's actually a list of 30 questions or 21 questions from New York Times. Have you heard of these questions? Yeah, isn't it like 30 questions to fall in love or something? Exactly. And it's like, when was the last time you cried or something? Or mm-hmm. like, what is the best present? Or like, like deep stuff. So mm-hmm. like, 
we started going through those and like i was told to like use those to go deeper and those were that was fun but like i think like doing more stuff maybe not as engineered as that mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. kind of using those topics and kind of getting deeper with people is something that i want to do and something i'll take forward with me going forward wow i feel like i'm i shouldn't be surprised but in this like closing portion of the discussion, I've realized so many parallels because not only are all the things that you're looking for exactly what I'm also looking for in a partner, but what you described about like what you're taking from your last relationship is similar to my experience because I think similarly to what your therapist said, it's a positive and negative because I think your therapist posed it in a positive way where she's like, oh, well, now you know that there is someone out there who keeps your interest. There is part of a negative side of me that's like, but now it's going to be hard to find someone else like that because it is hard to find someone who checks so many boxes not to sound super, I don't know, not to sound super methodical about it. But it's, it's daunting, but promising at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I would take the class half full and I would say, well, Previously, you thought they never existed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, at least, there's one of them. And to your point, maybe there's just one and there's not two. But, <laughs> I mean, this guy, I'm not going to, let's be real here. He wasn't, like, perfect. You know, yeah, like, yeah. there were boxes no that were checked. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. There were boxes that were checked. They weren't all checked off and stuff. But mm-hmm. I'm still trying to take hope in the positivity of, like, okay, there is someone out there. And, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm going for. I'm actually going on a date later on today. Oh, my gosh. First date? First day, yeah. First wow, day. what are you guys going to do? It's tough, right? It's, like, there's no outdoor dining. Like, what do you yeah. do? So I think we've literally, like, chosen, like, a random park or something near where both of us are. And, yeah, like, honestly, for me, even if it's just, like, sitting in a car and, like, having a coffee or something and just, mm-hmm. like, chatting would be fine. I don't know if I want to, like, day drink right now because I yeah. did a lot of that yesterday and Friday. <laughs> but... Yeah, it's in a couple of hours. Hopefully, it's like warm and sunny and stuff also. Yeah, there's not that many options of first date. I mean, you could, I've done like tennis recently. Oh, nice. Or I've gone for like a hike or a bike ride. Mm -hmm. I don't know. A part of me feels like that, like that's too friend zone-y for a first date. That's okay. It's so interesting because I did a hike with someone for a first date once. It was like we did a hike to the Culver Stairs and then we got Uh ice cream afterwards. And because it was when things were a little less crazy, like I think it was when things were starting to open up in LA, Uh but it was still a pandemic. So it's Uh like, okay, are we going to hug whatever? It's like there isn't really that physical chemistry that there might be pre-pandemic. And so I was like, this was a good date, but I was like, was it a date? And it literally wasn't until the third date that I had a guarantee that I wasn't in the friend zone but yeah I was like I don't I don't know if there's a romantic interest here (laughs) yeah I don't know for me it's like I'm like competitive and I play sports it's Mm -hmm. like I'm like trying to like beat this person or something it's like (laughs) I don't know and you're like sweaty or like you know your helmet on and stuff you're biking it's (laughs) It's like you're not like yeah you're like not really like seeing this person Mm -hmm. so I don't know that's why I'm like I'll do that as like not a first date but like Mm -hmm. two three whatever but yeah Let's see. I'm excited to see how this goes. On the bright side, if you do something physical like that, like when we did the Culver Stairs, like they're kind of intense. So mm. we weren't racing up, even mm. though he wanted to. But I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and so by the time we finished, I was like kind of sweaty. It was also summer. And I was like, OK, the yeah. fact that he was still down to see me after that. I'm like, that's a good true. sign because I'm only going to look more attractive going that's forward. That's true. That's true. No, that's <laughs> 100%. Yeah. So I can only grow up from there. But yeah, we're all clashing at straws in this pandemic for like ideas. <laughs> Seriously. For 
what to do. Like showing negative tests to each other as like mm-hmm. proof of like safety, but roll with Stakes the punches. Stakes are high. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. It's also funny because so I recorded a podcast yesterday with my guy friend mm. and it was around the same time as today. And during the episode, he's like, yeah, I have a date later today. And no. I'm like, damn, <laughs> yeah, I'm like all my guests are just getting after it. Like, while, while you're like just pumping out more content for your podcast. <laughs> yeah, like we're actually like we're doing both. Yeah, we're like actually going out and doing some You're supplying meat. the content. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's supplying the content. You're welcome, Leslie. You're welcome. Yeah, man. thank you. Thank you for dating. And I will say Thank you like, for dating. <laughs> I was going to say like, thank you for dating while I can't. And then I realized you have to explain. Like I can, but I'm kind of waiting until I walk normally again because there's like <laughs> nothing sexy about like limping up to a first date so yeah. i have to wait until i'm like back on my feet more so more of a hobble maybe than the limp <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah yeah that's true <laughs> okay so this is a perfect transition into the game i wanted to play with you mm. so i wanted to play red flag deal breaker and just to lay the ground rules so in this case For all of these, you are in the early stages of dating this person. So maybe like first three days, everything else has been great. There have been no other red flags, but this comes up. Are you going to stop talking to this person or is it just a red flag that you take note of? Or maybe it's not a red flag at all. And the theme to this, apologize if I'm being too stereotypical, (laughs) but I kind of picked things that I thought might be stereotypical of someone in SF who like might work in tech, like a tech bro. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the first one, on your first date, they bring up their Bitcoin investment strategy as a topic. Not a red flag at all. Okay. I'm super bullish on Bitcoin. DM me if you want to learn more about my opinion on that, but <laughs> not a problem at all. That is great. I, <laughs> For me, I would love to learn more about it, to be honest, so maybe I will DM you. But um, <laughs> I don't know that I would want to talk about it on a first date. So not a deal breaker for me, but like a, an orange flag. An orange. Okay. Yeah. So, so what are the options? It's red, orange, or just nothing? It's like, technically, it's red flag or deal breaker. But okay. if it is neither for you, then you can explain why. Okay. Yeah. There's it's there's some contest there. Okay. Yes. Okay. So the next one, you find out that they paid to get a DNA test done for their dog. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the fact that they have a dog, I love pets, especially mm-hmm. canines. So I'm all for that. And yeah, God, maybe I'm going to come across as like superficial or shallow, but like, what's yeah. wrong with the DNA test for a dog? I mean, you want to... I mean, There's that means you wrong really care it. about the animal, yeah. <laughs> That's true. But it's not about like, oh, are there any genetic like predispositions to disease? It's like, oh, I just wanted to know like oh. what like breed they are and all. Like it's more of a vanity thing than a practicality thing. Okay. I, maybe I misunderstood. I thought it was more for the, for like, let me screen the dot for like late onset blindness oh, or like. no. You know, no, it's like they adopted know. it and they're like, oh, I just want to know what breed it was. Yeah, that's like, why do you care so much? Like, yeah. And that's like, honestly, that sounds like a lot of money as well. So it's Exactly. Like, it's why like, don't you, yeah, exactly. Why don't you do better with that money and not spend it on just <laughs> knowing what percent your Shih Tzu is from like <laughs> this part of the world? Yeah. 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 All right. So the next one, they schedule a first date over Zoom. And before the date, they send you an agenda with um, bulleted conversation topics. <laughs> that's that's a pretty dark orange maybe a red it's like are they, I mean unless if it's like funny less, unless the bullet yeah, points are yeah. like 
different drinking games or like inside jokes. Oh, that would be fun. Like when you were texting or chatting or something. But like, if they're serious about that, it's like, (laughs) no, sorry, dude. Like, yeah, that's someone who like can't let loose. Exactly. I'm like, open a couple of couple of buttons and like have a drink or something. Like, yeah, fall back. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a a pretty bad red flag. But I do like your positivity that maybe they're doing it as a joke, in which case that's a green flag. Like maybe it's like a spin on the New York Times questions and it's like, oh, oh let's, yeah. let's like move into this part of like and so on and so forth. So maybe, but like just an agenda on like intros. <laughs> what did you do yesterday? How many siblings did you have? I'm like, no. Like, yeah. Sounds and exhausting. So that one, I have to say, I didn't even make that one up because I was scrolling through Overheard SF. Oh, or, no way. For, like, inspiration. And apparently some someone had that happen to them. Wow. Tangent, I actually submitted a post to Overheard NSF. Did it get... Okay, yeah, and they DM'd you, right? They d- replied, they DM'd me, and then, like, I followed up and said, hey, like, <laughs> just wanted to follow up and, like, is this still <laughs> happening? They're like, yes, it's happening. <laughs> Be patient. We have a very long, like, wait list of posts. And I'm like, I would oh, imagine. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> but still, it's, it's kind of still. Like, I don't want them to post, like, post pandemic because there was a like, pandemic relevant. I feel like they wouldn't. I feel like they're pretty topical. And, like, the pandemic, you think it's going to draw on for a while, huh? So it's not going to No, no, I'm not putting that out into the universe. I'm just saying <laughs> I think they will use it within an appropriate window. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah I'm like, refreshing that page every day and making sure that I, <laughs> I get that. I don't know why I care so much about that. Uh, I love that you followed up. You're like, hey, can we circle back on this? I know. What's the ETA? What are next steps here? And I was like, oh, <laughs> send me a dot. Do I need to workshop the language or? Exactly. Like, who's running the copy for this? <laughs> um, oh but yeah, sorry. I did us off the red flags there. No, that was a key <laughs> update. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next one. So in this case, you have been dating for longer. So let's say like two, three months, and you follow each other on Instagram. They never like any of your Instagram photos, but they like all your Venmo transactions and endorse you on LinkedIn. <laughs> that's, that's just funny. That's just funny. <laughs> no, it's not a red fact. I mean, I wouldn't break up with them for that, but I would definitely ask, what's going on over here? Like, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not liking all of my Instagram posts is fine. I don't think there's like, this obligation to like... But like, like they don't like any of them. Yeah, that maybe is a problem. Yeah, you definitely need that external validation from someone you're dating on your yeah. posts. But I think the <laughs> endorsing you on LinkedIn <laughs> is hilarious. <laughs> I'm all here for it, sure. Yeah. Especially if like they have like, a bit network or presence or something. Yeah, and then I don't even know people still like Venmo transactions. Like, I thought people were over that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it happens to me sometimes. And it's not someone I'm dating. It's actually very weird. It's like this friend <laughs> who he, we used to go out together. Like we're in a larger group of friends. I have not seen him in person in years. And he'll just like sometimes like my Venmo transactions to people who wow. I'm like, you don't even know them. Like, yeah, exactly. do you do this to everybody? So I just think it's like really a funny, weird surprise. Yeah, that's definitely funny, weird. Yeah, definitely not a red, red flat though, yeah. Okay, fair, fair. Yeah. I'm All so right, forgiving so, here. I'm so like... I like so, it. I, yeah. I appreciate it because you're right. It's like, these are pretty trivial things. And so it's more just like, okay, is this a big enough pet peeve or is it something that you could overlook or just discuss with them? Yeah, just discuss, I think, yeah. And like you said, you're you're being more open. So yeah, that's, this exactly. is part of that. We're in a pandemic, Leslie, you know. (laughs) Can't be that picky. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so they talk to you about pride and they claim that the only reason they go or the main reason they go is just to network. 
to pride like to like the pride parade or something mm-hmm. that's a red flag yeah yeah that's like why would you <laughs> a there a there are better places to network <laughs> than like the pride parade mm-hmm. b like everyone around you is like is it one of the most fun weekends of the year every year mm-hmm. like can you just like let loose and like have some fun that sounds like the reddest of the ones so far yeah um, yeah yeah <laughs> i love okay. how you came up with these yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know i was I was having fun just embellishing what this like tech bro might look like or do <laughs> okay it. so the next one it's your first date and they are 45 minutes late and the excuse is that they forgot to plug in their car beforehand jesus christ oh my god oh, so it's like a tesla or something right yeah i mean yeah <laughs> That's honestly, it's pretty annoying. I'm like, dude, that's like a caricature of yourself. Like, oh, you like, you're you're in tech and you have an electric car, but you like didn't charge it. Like, yeah, just Uber or something, you know? Right. Like, the car at home. That would be annoying. That would be mm-hmm. annoying for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do like that they have an electric car. I'm all for sustainability yes. mm-hmm. and being environmentally conscious. So. So you might go plus. on a second date. Yeah, but I may say like, can you set a reminder to charge it, or like, can you have someone <laughs> do that for you, please? So yeah. Like, Get it done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, last one. So after your first sexual experience with this person, they try to get you to meditate together. Oh, really? (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) I mean, usually I'm not a massive, like, pillow talk person. I'm like, okay, get out of my face. I (laughs) want to, like, I don't know. You're supposed to be being more vulnerable. I know, I know, exactly. So maybe, I mean, I... I mean, what are we, 10 days into the year and I've meditated for like five of them. So oh, I'm trying I didn't know to you were into meditation. Like 10 minutes on headspace or something. Mm-hmm. So trying to, but yeah, I think that would, that would, that's not a red flag. I mean, like you said, yeah, lean into differences and mm-hmm. different experiences. So I'm all for that. Yeah. As I was writing this, I didn't even think about it. I actually went on a second date with some, well, I went on three dates with this person. He was huge into meditation and wow. it was to the point where like, I think he did an all day retreat once where it's like you meditate and like you can't speak and it's very intense. And like what wow. he was describing, I was like, it was a red flag for me only because uh-huh. I was like, if this person is that passionate about it, are right. they going to want a partner who will eventually do that? Because I'm like, I don't think I would do that. Like, right. I would love to get into meditation, but not to the point where it's like a weekend long event. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. And he like, guided me through a meditation after our second date. And it, the rest of the date was really good. So I was like, okay, I clearly went on the third date, but I don't think we would have been compatible long term. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, honestly, I envy those people who are into meditation. I mean, it is mm-hmm. such a powerful tool. My dad's on it for 40 years and, like, this wow. swears by it. And it's one of those things that's super hard initially, but once mm-hmm. you get into it, the benefits just compound. And it's it's so important. And I'm really hoping that I stick with it for 2021. Yeah, it sounds like your dad's ahead of the curve because I know yeah. most of yeah. us have just gotten into it recently. Yeah, yeah, he does it. He does, and he does transcendental meditation TM, and it's like twenty minutes twice a day, and he's just nice. really into it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, this was amazing, and this was so I fun. To, yeah, thank you for sharing so much of your past experience and being so open. Of course, so thanks for having me. I've been a longtime supporter and listener, so Aww. I I'm terrified to hear what I sound like, but I'm looking forward no. to listening to it and. Thanks for doing this while the rest of us are creating content and going on dates out there. 
um, to provide you. <laughs> well, you come up with like red flag questions where like out there meeting these red flags. And... Okay, that's just very sad, Rustam. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, you're not missing much. I mean, it's it's a pandemic, and like I said, people are sitting in cars having Pete's trophy as first day. So. <laughs> Not as glamorous as it used to be. Exactly, exactly. So, but hopefully, the the limp goes away soon, mm-hmm. and your your foot heals, and you're back out there, um, back in the game. Yeah, yeah. back at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there any place that you wanted to plug where listeners can find you? Not I mean, my Instagram or my LinkedIn. Honestly, endorse me on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, <laughs> endorse me if you thought my content was relatable but yeah you can find me on instagram ze birdman um is my handle perfect and yeah for those of you who are trying to follow the podcast you can find it at interstates and heartbreak and you can find me at leslie nope l-e-s-l-i-e-g-n-o-p-e thanks so much bye let's be exclusive Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.